Hello, and welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. Good morning, everybody. Let's do a little housekeeping here. We're all good. We're all good. How's everybody doing today? So glad that you guys are here, man. What an incredible day here at Christ Walk. Not only, um, I, I was just kind of looking over the landscape of things. Not only was this, was this Todd's first time on stage serving in that role, but um, right back here during worship, um, you probably saw a young man on the bass guitar. He is 13 years old. That's Dee who is right here in the center, and Daniel, that is their son, Lucas, and he was playing bass up here for the first time. And back in the booth um, is Chris Llewellyn, and he is running words for the first time. And we've got... Um, uh, we've got people serving all over this campus and many of them for the first time. And so I just say that as a shameless plug, like we have a place for you to get involved here and to use your gifts, skills, talents, and abilities. And if you don't have any gifts, skills, talents, and abilities, don't worry, we'll give you some <laughs> and we will find a place to plug you in. Um, uh, I, I saw people earlier today um, in, in working in guest services, and they were running out to cars with umbrellas in the rain to like walk people out like, that's awesome, guys. Um, this is such a great place to be and a great place to serve. And so if you're not on a team, what are you waiting on? Get on a team. Join a team. Guest services, um, worship and AV, uh, kids walk. There's a ton of places for you to get involved. And if you have any questions about that, just stop by the big orange tent at the close of service and let them know, hey, I want to be involved. Help me. And we'll point you in the right direction. All right. So if you've got your Bible or a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me, swipe with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Now, your Bible is divided up into these two big sections. Um, the first big chunk of the scriptures is what we call the Old Testament. And then the second, the second section, the second big chunk is called the New Testament. And right there at the beginning of the New Testament, we have these, these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we call those uh, the Gospels. And the reason we call them the Gospels is because gospel means good news. And each of those books are good news because they tell the story of Jesus Christ, which is good news. And we're going to be taking a look at part of his story today in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. So go to that second section, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book, then the second chapter, and we're going to jump in there together in just a moment. Now, Christmas is quickly approaching, and we are, we are in part two of our Stories of Christmas series. And last week, we took a look at the Gospel of John, the opening chapter there, where John, he has kind of a different perspective than the rest of the Gospels. And we looked at the opening words of, of the, the book of John, and we learned that before the world began, the gift of Jesus was God's plan. And so today we're going to continue on in that series as we take a look at probably the most traditional um, approach at telling the story of Jesus and his birth. Now, when I was a kid, um, uh, Christmas Eve was a very special time. Uh, I grew up um, very close to um, some of my relatives 
and, uh, in, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And actually, um, my grandparents lived um, very close to us. And uh, my grandfather was my pastor from the age of three all the way to 14. And in fact, my grandfather pastored the church that Pastor Ryan and I grew up in together. So we grew up together in the same church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, kind of a totally random thing how we would kind of be here at Christ Walk together. But um, that's how it happened. And so uh, for those 11 years, my grandfather was our pastor. And every Christmas Eve, we would, my family would go to my grandparents' house. And I can remember as a kid, I would, I would show up and I would run in and, and go directly to the tree. And I wanted to see the presents that were laid out for me because um, it was, it was several, uh, several sets, several families that made a part of the bigger family that all came in. And for, for the grandsons, of which I'm the oldest of four on that side of the family, my mom's side of the family, um, every family unit was responsible for getting the grandsons a present. So, you know, we got the, we got the most, you know, and I wanted to count and be sure they were all there. And then, um, and then my grandparents, they would always get us, um, they would always get us these, uh, these, these trucks, um, every year it was like collector's items. They're called Wilco trucks and they took batteries. You had to put batteries in them and it made like lights and sounds and everything. So as an extra gift, my grandmother would always wrap the batteries. And so it became a joke. We wanted to be sure that the batteries were there, but I would run into the tree and I wanted to count and I wanted to be sure that all the presents were accounted for and everything. And then I knew the routine. I knew that we were going to have to suffer through dinner together with everyone. And I knew that my grandfather was going to pray over dinner until the food got cold. You know, like, I mean, he was going to thank God for everything and everyone. And it was like, can we just hurry this along, please? And then we were going to be at the kids table and all the kids, we were going to eat like two bites and then push it to the side because we were ready to go into the living room and, and, and get Christmas started, you know, but then all the adults, they were going to take their time and they were going to go back for seconds and thirds and, and, oh, I need another salad. You you don't need another salad. Let's go. And so we would finally get in there and we would get gathered around the tree and we would sing songs. <laughs> because everybody in my family um, was, was musical and, and uh, they all sang or played an instrument or both. And so everyone had to showcase their talent. And there was a piano there that was near the tree. And so my grandfather, I can still, I can picture it. He's, he's since gone on to be with the Lord. But, but I imagine that he's doing this right now up in heaven. He is sitting in a wingback chair. And he's, he's, he's got his legs crossed. And as the angels sing, he is directing the choir because that's what he would do. He would direct the, I'm like, Grandpa, we know, like, we, you don't have to direct us. We know what's going on. You know, but he would sit there and he would direct everybody and as we sang and, and then and it would go around to each family unit and we would present our offering of, of Christmas worship. And I remember that that I started to play the guitar and I would I played the I played the trombone. That's something I shouldn't have said because that's gonna come back to haunt me, I I, I do believe. And and so I, I would always have to like put something together, like I had to learn something to take to the Christmas Eve celebration so that I can offer it and it just took up all the time getting to the presents. And I'm like, nobody wants to do this. This. We don't want it like, let's just open the presents. That's what we're here for, right? 
And so the last, the last song, you knew that it was getting close because the very last song that we would sing, my aunt would typically get on the piano and my grandfather, he would open up the piano bench and he would pass out sheet music like we needed it. And it was the old sheet music with the shape notes. Some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. And we would sing, Oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem, all 94 verses of it. <laughs> while my grandfather would direct from his wingback chair. And then I would begin to salivate because I knew. And you could just feel like the other grandsons, you, like you just knew there was like a rumble because it was about to happen. And we were going to rip into those presents. And it was after a beautiful star of Bethlehem that then the moment came for us to open the Bible. <laughs> you thought I was going to say we we're going to pass out. No, no, no. The moment came for us to open the Bible. And I can remember as a kid, my, my grandfather opening the Bible and turning to Luke chapter 2 and reading those first 20 verses. And that was a Christmas Eve tradition. And I remember I was probably seven or eight years old when I got a phone call in November from my grandfather who said, Hey, this year, I want you to read the Christmas story. And so I can remember practicing my mom sitting there practicing because there were some big words in that, like Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and Caesar Augustus, right? And so I had to practice that and everything because I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to put forth a good showing. And I remember when it came my turn to read the Christmas story. And there was something about, something about that that we still carry on today in our household. We sit down and Luke and Avery on Christmas Eve before we go to bed. We're not talking about twas the night before Christmas. No, we're talking about and it came to pass in those days that all the world should be taxed. That's what we're talking about. And we sit down around the Christmas tree. And before we put out the, the last minute goodies and the things for the, for the reindeer and for Santa Claus and all of that stuff, we're talking about the Christmas story. And my kids, we read it together, and it's a, it's a Christmas tradition that carries on today. And what I didn't realize at that young age is that the reading of that story every year, the tradition that was built in, and, and, and my grandfather, my grandparents making that the centerpiece of what we were there to do, it was, it was building something into me far more valuable than any of those presents that were underneath the tree. See, that story... And our time and, and, and with it being the focal point, it was helping me to, even as a young man, to connect the dots between my life and the life of a little baby. Who, when I opened my life to that baby, it changed everything for me. In fact, it, it is that connection that is the reason why I'm standing here on this platform in front of you today. It changed everything for me. But but it hasn't just changed things for me. It's changed things for all of us. For those of us that receive him, Jesus changes everything. And the big idea, the, the, this thought that I had off of, off of my preparation for today that I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes is simply this. The Christmas story, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. The Christmas story is our story. The Christmas story is our story. 
See, Tim Keller, he said this. He said, Christmas is an invitation to know Christ personally. Christmas is an invitation by God to say, look what I've done to draw near to you. Now, draw near to me in return. I don't want to be a concept. I want to be your friend. That is the Christmas story. This is why Jesus came, to have a relationship with you and with me, to be a part of our story, and more importantly, to make us a part of his. And so if you'll indulge me, I want to read these 20 verses of Luke chapter 2 with you this morning as the foundation of our message. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Just picture little seven-year-old bucktooth me sitting down, you know, on the fireplace hearth right next to my grandparents' Christmas tree. At that time, Augustus Caesar sent an order that all people in the countries under Roman rule must list their names in a register. This was the first registration. It was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to their own towns to be registered. So Joseph left Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and went to the town of Bethlehem in Judea, known as the town of David. Joseph went there because he was from the family of David. Verse 5, Joseph registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was now pregnant. And while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have the baby. And she gave birth to her first son because there were no rooms left in the inn. She wrapped the baby with pieces of cloth and laid him in a feeding trough. And that night, some shepherds were in the fields nearby watching their sheep. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord was shining around them and they became very frightened. Verse 10, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will be great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. This is how you will know him. You will find a baby wrapped in pieces of cloth and lying in a feeding box. Then a very large group of angels from heaven joined the first angel, praising God and saying, give glory to God in heaven and on earth. Let there be peace among the people who please God. Verse 15, when the angels left them and went back to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So the shepherds went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a feeding trough. And when they had seen him, they told what the angels had said about the child. Everyone was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured these things and continued to think about them. Then the shepherds went back to their sheep, praising God and thanking him for everything they had seen and heard. It had been just as the angel had told them. Now, when I read that story, there's some things, some particular things that, that stick out to me. And that is this age-old idea that, that we've talked about, this concept that there was no room for Jesus in the end. That we're talking about the greatest, the, the greatest announcement, the greatest entrance that this world has ever seen. And we couldn't find a place for him at the local inn. And that under the cover of night, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, 
The one that the Old Testament prophets told about, that they they pointed to, that they said, he is coming in the future, that under the cover of night, he enters the world and nobody knows it. Nobody except for just some shepherds out in the field. The innkeeper was, was seeing Jesus right there, like manifest in the flesh, like getting ready to be born. His, his parents are standing there and he didn't recognize. The townspeople of Bethlehem, they weren't going out of their way to open up their doors, looking for the Messiah, expecting him to come. It wasn't the, the religious elite and, and the, the, the religious officials that were, that were looking for him. They were, they were seeking after him. They were expecting him to make his grand entrance. No, the only place that they could find for the king of kings and the Lord of lords was some ramshackle stable off to the side. And he was pushed away and he was overlooked and yet these angels come in the heavenly host to proclaim the fact that Jesus has been born. And they don't come to those with some social status or, or those of, of royal, uh, royal attributes or anything. They come to some shepherds. In fact, that's what the Bible calls them, some shepherds. These dudes don't even get names. They're just some shepherds. Maybe there's two or three, I don't know, but they're just some in the midst of a whole bunch of other shepherds. And that's who the angels decide to show up to, to make this greatest of all announcements. Shepherds. These are the outcasts of society. They're never around in the town. They're always out on the outskirts, keeping watch over their flocks. They're socially awkward. Like, they're just not around people all the time. They're around sheep. And sheep are disgusting. Right? They smell. And, and the shepherds, they're in the midst of them. So guess what the shepherds smell like? They smell like the sheep. And so people don't want to be around them. And the shepherds, they gather their sheep up and they're trying to protect them and everything. And, and guess what sheep do? They eat. And then when they eat, you know what they do next? They sleep. Y'all are really, really, I don't know what you're thinking. They get a good dinner and then they lay down and go to sleep. No, they poop too. And so the shepherds, they're walking around in the middle of it. I'm just being real. So these are like, these are like smelly, like gross, like disgusting individuals. They didn't have like, you know, hot showers out in the meadow, you know, to take care of themselves. They were, they were the lowly of society, seemingly insignificant. They were the outcasts, the overlooked. They would have been the last people worthy of receiving such a declaration that the angels brought to them that night. But when I read that, it gives me hope because it lets me know that I don't have to attain a certain status for Jesus to come to me. 
It's not about, it's not about my level. It's not about my social standing. Jesus came to, to the outcast and to the overlooked. He came for the helpless and the hopeless. He came to be a part of life with the frantic and the fearful. Jesus Christ came for you and me. But the question is, are we looking for him? The shepherds were that night. They said, let's go find it. Let's go look for what the angels have told us about. While the rest of Bethlehem slept snug as a bug in a rug. Not even knowing that the Messiah was right there in their backyard. Jesus came for those of us who have been overlooked, those of us who have been pushed to the side, those of us who are afterthoughts of no significance whatsoever, just regular folk. That's who Jesus came for. But are we looking for him? Because he's looking for us. He said so himself later when he grows up and becomes a man. Later on in this book of Luke, the best of all Bible books. Because we named our son Luke. And we know that Luke was a doctor in the Bible. And so we're hoping that Luke will grow up to become a doctor so that he can support me and his mother in the lifestyle to which we have become accustomed. Speaking in the prophetic Jesus, he says so later on in the book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10. He says, the son of man, he's talking about himself. The son of man came to find lost people and to save them. Jesus is actively looking, searching, clawing, fighting, doing whatever he can to find you, to get to you in the middle of your situation so that he can rescue you. He is looking for you. He is searching for you. But are you looking Are we looking for him in return? The good news about all of this, though, is that Jesus, he came to all of us. It doesn't matter what social status. It doesn't matter the the number that is in our bank account or the lack of number in our bank account. It doesn't matter where we live or what car we drive or where we work or if we don't work or how many kids we have or the color of our skin. None of that matters. He came for all of us. All of us. We go all the way back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament where where Isaiah prophesies and and he's telling the people that the Messiah is coming. And in chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah communicates this. He says, a child has been born to us. God has given a son to us. He will be responsible for leading the people. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Powerful God, Father who lives forever, Prince of peace. Notice what he says. He says, a child has come to us. He doesn't say a child has come to them and you've got to be a part of them in order to receive him. No, a child has come to us. 
And for those of you that need guidance, you need direction, he is the wonderful counselor. For those of you that need strength in the face of adversity, he is your mighty God. For those of you that need hope to walk through the thing that you are facing, he is your everlasting father. And for those of you that need peace and quiet and calm, he is the prince of peace. And he has come to us, all of us today. He's no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter. Jesus has come to you. It comes full circle in the New Testament where Nicodemus comes by night to visit Jesus. And he's asking Jesus questions. Nicodemus, one of the religious officials of the day, and he's asking Jesus questions about what it means to follow him and, and, and what his plan is and everything. And it's where we get one of the most famous Bible passages, Bible verses of all time, John 3, 16 and 17. And Jesus says this to Nicodemus. He says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him may not be lost but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world guilty, but to save the world through him. Who did he come to save? He says it right there in verse 16. Whoever, whoever, I love that word. That means I'm a part because I can fit into whoever. There's, there's no, there's no like, like the bar is pretty low for whoever. That just means you gotta like be breathing, like even just barely. That's whoever. That's all of us that Jesus came to have a relationship with. Jesus is pursuing whoever. The question is, will we receive him when he comes? He's coming to us, but, but are we going to receive him? Because even though the story of Christmas is our story, it doesn't truly become our story until we receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Think about it. In just a, just a few days, we're going to gather as families and we're going to exchange gifts. Maybe your family's crazy and whacked out like mine was. Maybe you're going to sit around a tree and you're going to sing a bunch of songs before you exchange those gifts, whatever your tradition is, but we're getting ready to do that. We're, we're going to exchange gifts. But in order, in order for you to, to receive that gift and like, like to actually make it yours, you, you have to unwrap it. And you have to take it out of the box. And then you have to, you know, you, you take it to your house or, or wherever it's, you know, and, and you put it to use. Up to that point, it, it doesn't become yours. You know, if, wouldn't it be weird if like we gave somebody a gift and they're like, oh, thanks. And they just set it there and they never opened it. Right? That's not receiving a gift. That's called taking something for granted. But yet Jesus, he has come to us and he's extending himself as this greatest gift of all time. But many of us, we have yet to fully receive Jesus. We just, oh, thanks. In order for the Christmas story to become our story, we have to receive the gift of Jesus Christ.
There's this, there's this really cool quote. I've seen it on some billboards and seen it floating around social media and everything. And I, I thought it was just super appropriate for where we are today. It's a quote from Neil A. Maxwell. It says this, Each of us is an innkeeper who decides if there is room for Jesus. You and me, we're all just innkeepers deciding whether or not we're willing to make room for the Messiah. So the Christmas story is our story, but first we have to make room for Jesus. So my question here today as we close out this message is, where might things be this time next year if we simply made room for Jesus this year? Are you with me? Where might things be? Where might we find ourselves? How might the situation be different this time next year if we simply made room for Jesus in our lives this year? Just reflectively, just think through this. Maybe your need is in your marriage today. Are you making room for Jesus in your marriage? Where might your marriage be this time next year if you would just make a little more room for Jesus? Maybe it's just in your household in general. Your wife, your husband, your kids, just the day-to-day. Is, is there room for Jesus in your household? What about your relationships, your friends? Is there room for Jesus there? What about your job, your schoolwork, your finances? Are you making room for Jesus in those areas? What about your thought life? Is there room for Jesus in your thought life? What about in your language, the words that you speak? Is there room for Jesus there? The words that you communicate to others, are are they laced with, with the love and the light and the life of Jesus Christ? What about in your hurts, your pains, your anger? What about in your brokenness? Are we making room for Jesus in the midst of that stuff as well? Jesus has come. Will you receive him? That's the question. He's looking for you. He's searching for you. Will you look for him in return? You know, and In order for us to receive a gift, we have to do that with our hands open. So just symbolically, just like for all over this house, can we just open our hands as we close out this message this morning? And whatever that area in your life is or those areas in your life, I I, I just want us to just, just do this as an act of faithfulness unto God. Just right there in, in your seat. We're just going to say, Jesus, I welcome you. Take up residence in my, and then fill in the blank. Just right here as we close out this morning, Jesus, I welcome you. Take up residence in my marriage. 
Jesus, I welcome you. Take up residence in my finances. Jesus, I welcome you. Take up residence in my hurt and my pain. Jesus, I welcome you. Take up residence in my brokenness today. Jesus has come, but you and I must welcome him. There might be somebody here today that needs to say, Jesus, I welcome you. Take up residence in my heart. Maybe you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never fully surrendered your life to him, but you would like to do so this morning. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, and choose. We admit that we're a sinner in need of salvation. We believe that Jesus is God's son, that he came, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the grave, defeating death and hell in the process. And see, we choose to make him the Lord of our life. If that's you this morning, I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. It's gonna be on the screen behind me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. For more information about Christ Walk, please visit us at thechristwalk.com.